0: You'll be able to learn something from this podcast. It seems like it was just yesterday that I was talking about Kmail, and it wasn't just yesterday. It was like two weeks ago, episode 482. Uh, this, the, the first application in the list today, is Contact. Contact is a, I guess I could call it a host application that contains Kmail as i've already said in previous episodes there are certain components of kde that are relatively modular some of them are are literally named after that concept like kcm but that there are there's a certain embeddable quality to certain kde applications and and one of those or or the suite of those uh, is considered the the pim suite the personal information management suite and that consists of things like K Mail, uh, K Notes, Calendar, Aggregator, Task Lists, feed, uh, Feeds is Aggregator actually, um, and so on. So when you when you launch Contact K O N T A C T, down the left panel, the the left uh, yeah on the left side of the window, there's a panel with big buttons representing each application i have to admit that in even in kde5 25th uh, edition 25th anniversary edition the buttons are surprisingly inconsistent really really surprisingly inconsistent (laughs) some of them are sort of like the um sort of monochrome dark well no what is it though because it's not dark breeze i I don't think. Maybe it is. I don't know. Monochrome, sort of like white on black because I have the dark theme. So white on like dark gray. uh, Line art representing whatever kind of application. And then some of them are just bizarrely, like I don't even know what it is, like task lists. To me, it looks like a turntable. That doesn't really make sense. But that is what it looks like to me. And then the K Notes application is like the, the traditional what i i think of as as i guess breeze or or maybe it's oxygen i don't know um that sort of lifelike icon looking notebook with a pen so you've got like four five six seven eight icons in one style another icon in another style and then a little straggler hangers on notebook in a completely or icon in a completely different style that i to this day i don't actually know what it is so that 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 is quite jarring to me. I, I think it's very surprising and I don't think it's anything that I am failing to do on my side. I, I feel like I generally have pretty good understanding of how to set my icon theme and and theming my applications. No expert by any means, but I I, I don't usually have a problem with it. It's something that I've I, I kind of figured out long ago and it seems to be relatively consistent but for whatever reason contact just looks kind of a mess that said i guess i've gotten used to it because i do use contact all the time and and i and i'm you know i kind of don't really notice it on a daily basis but I, i feel like if i were to show someone this application and and tell them that this was a very exciting application where they can find all of their personal information and contacts and so on. I do feel like I would feel like this is a little bit weird like that. I would, I would, I would be a little bit, I would want to try to fix that. And I don't know how I would fix that because it doesn't really seem to be an option. You can make them big. You can make them small. You could hide the icons, I guess. Right. I think you could just show text only. But then you've just got a bunch of like it's just too much text, really. It, it, they, it wants to be icons, but it's um, it's weird looking. It's really weird looking. I should I should definitely look into that sometime. Anyway, to be honest, what I use in contact on a daily basis is is K Mail. That's that's the one that I use. There is a, con- a calendar application there that I, I probably should use, but I just don't use it in in real life. I'm I'm pretty bad at calendaring in real life, so I don't know. It doesn't really get used. Um, contacts I don't really manage that well. Not great at managing contacts either. And and so it really boils down to KMail. Contact could be a, a, a very powerful application for people who want to. Kind of keep all of their information together and and sort of organize your 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 agenda on a daily basis and correlate your agenda to notes to yourself and so on so i could I can see it working for a certain kind of type of person, but for me it's just not what i generally it's just not how i I run things i I just do d- things differently and it's working for me you know. To the point that I'm not trying to change anything, so I guess I guess that's fine. So there you go. That's that's contact. What can you say? It's contact. Okay. Next up is contact interface. Contact interface is a library for embedding the K parts uh, in a contact component. So that's that's the that's the thing that lets all these components work together or 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 rather be extracted from one another i guess is another way of thinking about it so libraries header files things like that contrast k-o-n-t-r-a-s-t it's a color contrast checker it's a contrast checker to tell whether your color combinations are accessible for people with color vision uh issues so this is a uh, a developer tool i I guess arguably. Um but it's kind of just an interesting an interesting um tool really that maybe you know one might not really think about all the time and and it is it it, it displays color combinations and gives them a, a rating a contrast ratio based on the well on on, on the differential between the the values of of colors, so if you have a color scheme in mind, you, you do. I I'll, I'll admit there there is a certain reliance on on you knowing and kind of understanding um, color, your RGB color, because it really speaks a lot in either hex or HSL hue, saturation, sh- saturation and lightness. So. I mean I'm I'm you you can get around it there's a an eyedrop control uh and then you can you can you know you could open up something with with uh with a color swatch selector and and change a uh, change a color or something or you can use k color which I think I've ta- I I must have talked about by now in the alphabet um and and that's a useful thing but I, I yeah it is a little bit strange that the that the the contrast or the 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 thing about color doesn't have more options for selecting the colors that you want to to compare so anyway what it does or what what how it expresses itself it's a window with a with color a let's say or maybe we should just call it a background with the color background um the background of the window as one color and then the text as a different color confusingly or maybe not confusingly um the 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 text that you see, the report that you see on on the on the color choices that you have made changes color. Maybe you know what? Maybe this is actually actually a stroke of brilliance. But the controls, the things that control the the text and the foreground, they do not change. I mean unless you change the the um background color and the uh the the, the text color to be exactly the same thing, that then then they will shift. but um, it's kind of cool because you that way, I guess your report, if, if something's very low in contrast, you know you're looking at something like 1.7 contrast and you think that's really hard to read. Well, yes, it is. So that's the problem. Uh, and then you can adjust the hue or the saturation of one or the or the lightness of one thing or another, and you can watch the contrast ratio go up or down. Uh, and ideally, this will help you figure out what's uh, pretty good for for sort of accessibility purposes. I mean, ultimately, accessibility is flexibility. Has has no one said that before? That's really catchy. F- accessibility is flexibility. Anyway, ultimately, f- uh, accessibility is flexibility because you you just can't you can't really know what. One person's, in this case, eyes are going to be happy about. So, for instance, here's a white background. Background is uh, almost f there. F F F F F F And I've got some text that, according to this ratio the contrast is a ratio of five point eight five. And that, I mean, that's not great. It's zero to ten is the the ranking ten being the best. So this could this could be better. Um and I could make it oh it's actually zero to twenty one I, I guess or more maybe, who knows? Because I just put zero, zero, zero as my um as my uh text and fff as my background. And that's a contrast ratio to twenty one. Yeah, I guess that would necessarily have to be the maximum. So anyway uh, 21. So black text on a white background. What could be, what could be better than that? Like what could be more contrasty than that? Well, believe it or not, it depends. Uh, some people's eyes can't differentiate little glyphs of dark color against a big, big screen of white. Whereas sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes the, the dark background is better for, or no, sorry. Some people, uh you know, benefit from the, the bright white because it, it, causes their irises to open and now they can see the the text better so it 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 really really does depend on a lot of different things and of course with colorblindness you have got you know you have different shades that people do or, or don't see in the same way that You know you do and and frankly everyone sees well everyone sees a little bit differently right i mean we all have different interpretations of what color what color is or what 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 is red what is blue and so on so uh, while contrast is probably a very useful tool um and and in some ways i almost feel like it kind of just reinforces maybe you know in a way what's what's kind of more or less obvious i mean it's it's a thing that just kind of puts a number on something and and really if you really think about it you kind of know what 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 is successfully contrasted between two different things um, and the, and the way that you know is that the values the the hex values are at different ends of 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 the spectrum that's that's contrast so if you leave something as zero 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 and you make something else fff, then you know that those are contrasted to one another um so it's 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 a nice sort of uh pre-flight tool you can see some of the choices uh, some of the effects of the choices that you're thinking about making which can be useful because if you're if you're sitting there with a design uh, a design document from your branding department and you're tasked to combine a couple of different colors with one another and you think well that's just not that doesn't seem to really be working for, for this contrast, uh, you know? Um, it, it just doesn't seem like those two things are, are different enough. Then you can talk to whoever you need to talk to and then try to try to remedy that, that problem. So it is very useful. I think, however, it does need to be taken with a grain of salt because, as I say, people are different. We see colors differently. Different people's eyes interpret different things in different ways and sometimes like really surprising and almost unpredictable ways for for many of us we just we don't think of that being a problem because we didn't know eye proteins did that specific thing or we didn't know retinas could could be like that or whatever so so many of us we have personal experiences about what quote-unquote normal vision is and then we realize that someone else has something completely different so It's a really important thing to look at. I kind of wish they also had sort of, um, I I wish they had also incorporated different sizes of text. I think that would have been a nice feature for this as well. Um, But as it is, it is a very nice sort of pre-flight application just to really kind of reinforce for you that, that yeah, you might think this is perfectly visible and everyone would be fine with this but you run it through here and you realize oh i i'm just like in the fives or fours or eights or nines how could i make that even better for even more people as i say flexibility is actually i think ultimately the right choice and and by that i mean don't hard code your color schemes in anything it doesn't whether it's an application or whether it's a website, just don't hard code it. Let your users figure that out for themselves. Let let them adjust their theme. Let them adjust the look and feel of an application because only the user knows what works for them. Obviously, in open source, this tends to be sort of a default feature. That It, it tends to be something that people just expect to have built in to their applications and that's great that's encouraging it's beautiful it is often shocking when you come across an application that doesn't allow you to customize the theme that doesn't allow you to change the font size and so on but it does happen even in open source and it shouldn't flexibility is really important because you can't anticipate what other people are going to require for them to be able to use your application, your website, or whatever. So leave it up to the user. So important. That was a good conversation. Now let's have a conversation about conversation. Conversation is a application for IRC. That's internet relay chat. This is a graphical interface for for, for chatting over irc conversation with a k conversation i used to use this a little bit um but honestly when i was doing irc actively i would just use um, irssi that was my chosen platform i guess and and that worked quite well for me i never I, i never really came to rely on conversation really um that said it is really nice and and I I think ultimately ultimately I, I really do think that for IRC to be really a great experience, the more features you can have on the client side, the better. Now sometimes that means it runs in a terminal. So that's that's sometimes IRSSI is the best the most featureful interface for irc because that works on on your device or that's you know you can run it on your little raspberry pi ser- uh, server in a tmux session and and just have it on all the time and then connect to it from from remote uh locations so sometimes that's the right answer but other times it's not and sometimes the the GUI application is is the the nice way to uh, to interact with IRC. And that's what conversation sort of provides. Conversation, for instance, it can alert you when you're mentioned in a conversation. I mean, yes, you can probably get a plugin for your terminal based application or your maybe your web based IRC client or whatever. Um, but, but it's not always easy maybe it doesn't interface with the rest of your system as well as it could conversation interfaces with your notify with, with K notifications. It interfaces with pulse audio to, for the alerts, you know, you, you've got all the different sort of tools at your disposal. When you're, when you're using conversation, you can watch for specific people. You can, um, detect when a URL is posted all kinds of things. You can launch uh, a console from within the same window and so on. So conversation brings a lot of very cool, of course you can adjust all the colors. You can reconnect when disconnected. You can set up what you're ignoring, what you log, all that stuff. I I don't know what else to, to add to this. I mean, it's got all of the GUI features and sometimes that's a really, really, really great way to interface with irc because otherwise irc can just be a stream of data that you look in on with with a terminal window and and yes that's great but sometimes that can be hard to integrate with the rest of what you're doing Uh, the minute you tab over for instance to a different terminal tab console tab maybe you lose track of the conversation or or when someone mentions your your name or whatever like i say yes there are usually plugins for whatever client you're using to to add features but with conversation I mean that's the plugin that's everything you need probably there's a lot of different of options there um I have for the record I've gotten away from IRC uh, a lot of people speak of IRC I think very ex- with, with a lot of excitement and like I'll admit yes it's it's very exciting and I like irs I I admire IRC for what for what it is and what it is is A low overhead, simple protocol for plain text communication. That's, there's beauty there. That's really nice. I think one of the sort of drawback, you know, and I say it's nice because you can program an IRC client. I have programmed an IRC client myself. It's, 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 it's not impossible. It's a surprisingly simple protocol. Like you just read up on, on, on how messages are structured and then you program your client to receive those messages over some kind of network connection, and then parse each message. And, and it's not complex. I mean, it's like, I forget what it is off the top of my head, but, you know, it's something like a timestamp followed by a username followed by the message. And that's it, you know, and it it terminates with such and such a character. And and it's really easy to parse. Like, it's it's a great maybe not beginner level programming exercise, but certainly intermediate or, or, or you know, advanced beginner uh, programming exercise. It can be done. It's surprisingly easy. It's, it's pretty cool. I mean, to add really nice features, I'm sure it's a lot more complex, which is, again, why conversation is so nice. But it, it is a nice little protocol. It's very cool. It's very easy to get to. It's open. All that other stuff. Uh, but I, I think one of the, the the problems for me ultimately with IRC, in the end, is just that it it it's not online all the time. I mean, it can be. There are ways to be on IRC all the time, but it's just not quite as easy as doing that as as compared to Matrix or or Mastodon, for instance. Something that is literally online all the time because there's a bunch of servers somewhere happening. And I know this is part of the appeal of IRC is that there's not exactly a host uh, service, you know, or server rather. Like it, it's it's happening and, and then it potentially goes away, um, which is kind of nice. But yeah, it's just... It, ultimately, if you want to interact with people all across the world, I think IRC, it kind of makes it difficult, or it, it places the work squarely on the, on the, into the hands of the user. The user has to figure out their own solution to make those conversations ongoing and persistent and, and, and something that you can check in on at a moment's notice. And, and, and I mean, in other words in IRC if you sign off when you when you close your application for the night or whatever you log back onto IRC the that there's a there's a time jump like you have missed that conversation, which i mean you know that's like real life like if you if you leave a building for a lunch break and you come back no t- t- everyone hasn't frozen they haven't recorded all the conversations they've had without you like that's real life so i I get that, but I guess if you're not looking for an emulation of real life and you want something a little bit more persistent, then, then IRC is not it unless you, again, run it run an instance of it on, on, on something that you do have always on, and then you can check in with it. But, I mean, that's what I mean by IRC placing sort of the workload into the hands of the user because now it's your problem to figure that out. And for a long time, that was a fun problem to have, and I quite enjoyed it. And I did, I I ran it on a little server and I was just online for a long time and, or or that server was online all, you know, just checked into IRC all the time and I could sort of go back in and check for, for sort of mentions within the last couple of hours or whatever by scrolling up. But I don't know, it just didn't feel all that. It just, after a while, it just, I don't know, too much work really in a weird way and 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 I didn't really feel like all the work was ultimately toward any meaningful end like why why work that hard for 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 communication when there are easier ways to communicate whether it is as i said matrix or mastodon or heck even signal between friends or email between friends so yeah IRC just i it doesn't fit exactly into my into the sort of life rhythms that i have right now um that's not to say i'll never go back but i i don't see myself using it right now so i guess that's that um next up is k opening hours and i'm gonna have to look at this one because i i think it's just all i'm sure it's just a library set of something uh yeah Library for parsing and evaluating OSM, that's o- OpenStreetMap, opening hour expressions. OSM opening hour expressions are used to describe when a feature is open, available, or closed. It's open slash available or closed. Well, why do people use slashes? Open or closed. This format is not only used in OpenStreetMap itself, but in other data sources or APIs needing that description. And I'm assuming things like probably I don't know marble or something like that probably uses that sort of information. So this is a, a .so library um, pack. You know, it's a package with a .so file in it and a bunch of header files. That's K opening hours. Let's see what's next? Copete. I think I'm saying that right. Copete. Copete are. It is a um, a chat application or a, a chat client I should say and be, and I say client because I think in a way that the applications that it runs are or the protocols you know it it speaks different protocols so copete itself is a chat application it, it it's exactly what you would expect it's just like on the internet. You know, you go to a chat thing, right? And there's a box where you type your message and there's a button to, to send that you'll never click because you'll always just hit return. Uh, and, and and that's it. And then when people message you, you see their messages. Just like on a phone or or, or the internet or whatever. It's Copete. It, it can communicate over several different protocols. There's, believe it or not, AIM, uh, Bonjour, which is like, uh, I guess let's see, serverless link local XMPP messaging. So that's like, yeah, local Jabber, essentially. Group-wise, don't know what that is. ICQ, believe it or not, ICQ is still around, apparently. Jabber, that's XMPP, which used to always also uh, be used by Google. They Google actually was using XMPP for a long while, and uh, for whatever reason, they discontinued it because it's Google and and they're just about... The worst at that sort of thing. Uh QQ, test bed, and win pop up. That's those are all the different messaging protocols you have available to you, at least by default in Copete. I used to use this application all the time. I loved it. It was so great. It was a thing that would tether a bunch of different chat options together. And it was it was absolutely this was it seemed not like a golden age because there were so many protocols but looking back i realize it's a golden age it it, it that that was beautiful i had jabber i i i, I want to say there was some other protocol that was I, that i was using at the time i don't remember what it would have been though um could it have just been like i irc or something no i don't think so that was always conversation i think but there was there was jabber and then oh you know what it was i know what it was it was Jabber proper, and then it was a bunch of people who used Google Talk, which, because it was XMPP, I could, I could hook into through Capete and talk to them. And I didn't have to go into, like, one of 12 different dummy Google accounts that I'd opened over the past, you know, X number of years. So that that was nice. Uh, let's see, what else what else was there? I think there was something else. Maybe it was Bonjour. I would have probably been talking to people over Bonjour, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. I don't remember all the different protocols. I, I feel like there were some back then. I'm talking like 2010, 2012 time frame. I think there were must have been other protocols back then that have fallen so far out of favor now that maybe they don't exist anymore. But um, yeah, Copete, and, and you could do that. You could have lots of different you know, networks or whatever, protocols, um, all in one application. And Copetti didn't care. You didn't care. It was just you could just receive all kinds of messages from all kinds of people in one application. It was absolutely sublime. It was the best. It was the best thing ever. And now if I if I could do that now, it would be great. I mean, I have so so many chat clients open at any given time, I have a whole desktop, dedicated essentially to chat protocols or they're not they're not protocol I mean they are but they're not apparently good protocols because no one's tapping into them there is signal there's G- google chat there's discord d with a d not not discourse the good one discord with a d the closed source one there which I mean at least they have a client for linux right so there's what what did i say steam discord uh google Signal I guess that 's it actually that's that 's four things though, oh matrix, what am I talking about? Five things there are five different protocol or yeah protocol applications whatever uh, that I use to contact various different people and and if I want to be available to those people which I, I generally do, um, then they have to be open somewhere, and so they 're just kind of running on my desktop at all times and it just feels a little bit silly to have all of those different applications, as if though I care about the applications. I don't care about the applications. (laughs) Like, when are programmers, and and, um, look, open source programmers are amazing, uh, and they're doing great. Open source protocols are amazing. They're doing great. I just don't know how to get everyone to recognize that, and I don't know why the average person seems to want to latch onto an application like I don't know what it is about i guess the average person that they can't they can't conceptualize the idea that the application that they see on their desktop, and, and I, I'm struggling not to call it a physical application, because it's not physical. It is an array of pixels that is tricking me into thinking that it's something I can grab onto. It's not. I mean, can you, but can you imagine with a touch screen? I mean, the illusion is even thinner there, right? When you have a touchscreen, you just touch a window and move it around. That's an application. That's a physical object, practically. But, but people can't, sort of separate that thing from the code that that thing converses in. And so when they say, oh, I want to be on, I don't know, Mastodon, for instance, then to them it's not, well, I want to talk to the data stream that Mastodon speaks. They they want a sort of, again, sort of quote-unquote physical, quote-unquote tangible thing that represents... Mastodon, or that represents uh, uh, Matrix, or Discord, or Steam, or whatever other Google chat meetup hangout talk, uh, whatever other XMPP, whatever other thing exists... They, they need it to be sort of bundled up in an application. And I don't understand why in the 21st century, we haven't been able to, to train people to think you don't need a single application to represent a single concept. You can have a concept that you cannot visualize, you cannot grasp, and we can, we can, we can use that concept in any number of applications, whether it is your video gaming client or your phone chat client or your desktop chat client or whatever, we could just use those protocols and put them into things that you're already using. I just don't understand it. And and ironically, supremely the the supremest ironicism of all is that the most popular cross platform operating system and application rolled into one the internet or or specifically an internet browser represents exactly that right like everyone uses their browser and and somehow they're okay with the concept i guess that a browser isn't a single application and does talk different functionally let's call them protocols i mean their websites But, you know, you you load that into a browser. The browser is a client. Surely people don't think that Gmail exists in their browser. I mean, people know that, right? Maybe they don't. Maybe that's why people still gravitate towards single sites. You know, like... People don't use Gmail in their Thunderbird clients. They don't use it in um, Outlook. Or are, the, is, are those the only two mail clients that exist now? Probably. Uh, you know, people don't do that anymore. They, they just launch their browser and go to Gmail somehow. And I, I don't. I don't understand. Like conceptually. That just, it all seems like it's such a, There's, there are so many connections that could be made there, I feel, and we're just missing them. People are just missing those connections somehow. I don't know how, it's like, like there are so many, like think about it, right? There's the web browser. You type in a, a, essentially a command, right? So in a web browser, you could say that that URL bar is a terminal, it's a command prompt, it's a command line. You type in a command like Gmail or, uh, I don't know, uh, what do people use on the internet? Um, Trello or what else do people use? Reddit. You know, like people people go to websites. I don't know what websites people go to, honestly. Netflix, there's one. You, you type that in and an application for Functionally an application launches in that window that you know that that application doesn't live in that window you know that you are essentially tapping into a protocol right a concept that exists elsewhere you are tapping into its its stream and pulling its data into a, a presentation format for yourself so if people are are okay with that to such a degree that they that they that they've many many people have basically replaced desktop applications with the internet with a browser the the web browser so they're okay with that but how so how is it that they cannot also conceptualize things like here's an actual terminal you can type in you can type commands into it here's a client you could you can tap into data streams out there like chat chat Data streams and so on, and and you could join like little networks and interact with people and so on. I I do not understand how those connections, those neural connections, just aren't being made. I don't know. Uh, ultimately, I I want to just blame you know us, you, me, dear listener. Sorry, you know the the technologists. Like we're we're not. I guess ultimately we're not we're not communicating this correctly. We must not have explained it correctly. We must not be thinking of it correctly i don't know we're not explaining it like people are five you know we we're, we're we must be doing something wrong because people just aren't getting it, but it may be more complex than that let's go get a cup of coffee and process what i 've just said some, some you know some hard truths there like you know we these are this is a big conversation, and I didn't exactly expect Copete to be the thing to make me think about it. Although, really, it was the combination conversation, Copete that it kind of really accentuated it for me. But yeah, let's go get some coffee. We'll come back and talk about Mastodon, actually. <laughs> I'm really excited because there is a summer special coffee. I don't have it yet, but there is a summer special blend that's been released by Flight Coffee and I'm really excited to try it. I love a good seasonal coffee release. I'm not talking about like pumpkin spice lattes or anything a specific roast or a specific i mean sometimes there's like a little combination of something like there is a winter coffee that i think i've mentioned before several years ago from trader joe's and and it's got a little bit of like i think nutmeg and black pepper interestingly in it it's really kind of weird and i always used to like to get that during the winter i don't have trader joe's in new zealand and i don't want it so it's okay but yeah i do love a good seasonal coffee you know just just a coffee roast or a blend or whatever that you can't get all the time, that appeals to me. So there is this exciting sort of summer blend that's coming out pretty soon here and I'm, I'm quite excited to try it and I'll report on it once I have it. I do not have it yet. I just got the email the other day and just haven't gotten around to, to trying it or or get ordering it. I have to order this from like Auckland. So anyway, Let's talk a little bit more about what we were talking about before the coffee break. Before the coffee break, if you'll recall, it was a good 45 seconds to a minute ago now, so I'll I'll refresh your memory. I was complaining that people don't seem to be able to separate applications from protocols or or applications from data streams, whatever you want to call them, however you want to express it. And an interesting thing happened recently as I record this, and that is um, that Twitter... A, a proprietary messaging platform, microblogging platform—do people still call that? I don't know. Social media network um, has essentially, by all by all appearance, it's collapsed. Uh, it was bought out and has just completely, sort of not completely, but it it has it, it is ru- being run into the ground. I guess maybe I don't know. Uh, it depends on who you're you're listening to. Either way, there it ha, there has been unquestionably a mass exodus from, from, from Twitter. I mean, I say mass exodus. I, I think it's like, at the time of this recording, I think it's something like a million users or something. And when you think of the size of Twitter, is that a mass exodus? I mean, look, a million of anything is a lot. Effectively, it's incomprehensible to the human mind. We just, we, we can't, we cannot see or visualize a million that's just too many so there's a million people who have left so that's a big deal but i mean i think twitter has a pretty a pretty pretty big user base so i don't know if a million is a mac um, a mass exodus it's just it's it's a lot out of a lot it's a lot out of even more i guess more accurately so twitter has is imploding potentially Either way, it has it has definitely lost a, a big chunk of users. And apparently, a lot of these users are going over to Mastodon. Mastodon is, of course, probably the sort of most popular Twitter alternative. It really sort of was positioned as that pretty early on in its life. It is not the source of the data stream that it taps into, um, but it is the one that sort of got really big and popular. I mean, before Mastodon exists, for instance, there were there there was there were things like Gnu uh, Social. There was Identica before that. All these other sort of social networks that 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 capitalized on this idea of let's say that there's a a single stream well, not a single stream let's say that there's a a stream of data that each instance of of this uh, of something running this protocol can both put data into and extract data from, and we'll call that something and 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 eventually it it has become activity pub and activity pub is is. This protocol that Mastodon and uh, several other applications like PixelFed and and PeerTube and things like that can sort of feed into, and it's it's quite brilliant. It's it's a big deal. It's um like it's a really big deal because it's it it leverages this idea of federated uh, services, and the reason that that's important. Is because through through federation you can capitalize on the lack the, the true lack of, of centralized control and I think I think if the internet has has demonstrated anything it, it is that after all centralized control is a really really dangerous thing and I I think probably a lot of people knew that already but I. I mean, certainly, for myself, I do feel like the threat didn't seem all that imminent at one point in the history of the internet the The idea that some central body was offering services just didn't seem like that bad of a thing because I had never really seen what dependency looked like and then you and then you start to see the changing sort of face of the internet where this this single body that's offering this great service to everyone, um, maybe starts also spying on people, and by spying I mean monitoring their data, or maybe they start to advertise to people, uh, whether people want to be advertised at or not. Maybe they start to 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 um, uh, nickel and dime people, what microtransaction uh, people and so on. So you, have got a lot of sort of implications that I I think that a lot of people didn't quite understand a long time ago. Now it's endlessly puzzling to me that the open source world has apparently embraced services like GitHub. I, I don't know why anyone would do that, but a lot of open source projects have. They use GitHub actively as their primary primary um primary sort of central uh repository in a decentralized setup so technically it's not centralized but that's what we said a long time ago too right uh email isn't centralized uh we insisted and now that gmail basically owns the email space and it's uh nearly impossible to run your own email server not impossible it is very difficult, at least if you want your mail to be delivered um, and, and not to a spam box. So anyway, Mastodon, decentralized um, and, and better than that, I think, I think more to the point, federated. So you've got lots and lots of different instances of Mastodon and other applications running, contributing to this data stream, and each instance has the ability to contribute and withdraw data from that stream as little or as much as they, as they want. And, and you can be selective about it. If, if one of those, one of the contributors of that data stream is not to your liking, maybe they're posting stuff about, um, BSD and you really only want to hear about Linux, then you can block that source of, of data and never have to deal with it ever again in your entire life. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it demonstrates very effectively, the power of, of of a federated internet where individuals control how they want to connect to this big, seemingly monolithic information superhighway, if I may coin a term. Oh, I think someone already coined that term, actually. But uh, it, it's a big deal because there, it, it gives users a significant amount of control. At the same time, it's kind of funny because Mastodon itself is, if we think about it, binding sort of a protocol to an application, right? I mean, if you really think about it, if people are signing up for Mastodon, then in most people's mind, they're signing up for this specific website, this Mastodon website, whatever it is. And and that's where Mastodon lives, right? That's where every, that's where the, that's where the activity is, and of course, you and I know that it's not. It's that's just an interface into this bigger protocol, and you don't have to have Mastodon, but but weirdly, like people want they want a Mastodon or they want a, a Twitter, and 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 trying to extract just personal interaction away from like this this sort of centralized sense of a of a of a hub seems to be beyond our grasp because i would have i would i would think that in a way the smarter way to do that would just to be to to have clients desktop desktop clients that spoke activity pub and you could you could launch your own desktop client you could give yourself a name you could give yourself a, a a host name whatever and and then you're you're tapping into this this hub of 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 data and of information now in that model of course we're getting a little bit back into irc right because we're just we're looking at this stream and we dip in and dip out whenever we want to we've got a GUI application on our desktop that gives us some extra things like hey create a filter and filter out all of this stuff but highlight all of that stuff for me that sort of thing. So, I mean, that's a little bit maybe too IRC and maybe the 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 ultimate appeal of Mastodon is that yes, there is a server, you do have an account that's essentially on all the time and 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 that's how you interface with it. So there's there's maybe a little bit of a gray area there. It it's just funny to me that in the mass migration from a, a truly truly centralized service, people do in my mind seem to want to find another centralized sort of home and i wonder what that says about people I, i'm i don't know if i'm coming across as being critical I, i'm actually not trying to be critical right now i'm i'm simply trying to observe and i'm i'm wondering what a mass exodus of twitter to mastodon says about people and i Think, at least to my mind right now, I feel like what it says is that people want to be a part of a thing, which isn't necessarily like that's not rocket science. It's not, it's not amazing psychology. It's a lot of people already know this. I'm just observing it. I'm just saying, yeah, people do seem to want to have a place to congregate. They want the water cooler experience. They want a lounge, the living room, the, the cafe. They want the place where they can go and, and meet other people and have those people sort of at their beck and call on a moment's notice. And and that's just, I mean, that's being social, right? That's social interaction. And, and if, if Twitter has failed them in some way and 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 mastodon can provide then that's why they're they're moving from one to the other i did ask on mastodon sort of just sort of asked everyone if you're on mastodon by the way if you've been on mastodon for a while then you'll know that right now as i'm recording this today november 9 2022 the the in the in the influx is um you know, staggering i mean it re- really is it's it's just it is like a it, it's like um it's like a hurricane you know it's just on a, on a summer day it's, it's just all of a sudden there were so many other people on all of the servers it, it has been astonishing so i mean it's, it's been noticeable is what i'm trying to say so mastodon i asked why now why is the current owner of Twitter worse than the previous owner of Twitter? And why are the conditions of current Twitter worse than previous conditions of Twitter? Because in my view, and in, I think the view of a lot of people, it's never been that great, at least not not recently, not within the past, I don't know, six, six or eight years. I guess maybe it was great at one point. I mean, or, I, I say maybe it was tolerable at one point. But see, and, and someone told me that I was being, that I was coming across as as sort of high and mighty, or, or, you know, like, almost judgmental. As if, though, I was so proud of myself for having found Mastodon before the people who were finding it today. And that's not the implication, that's not the question that I'm asking. What I'm asking is that Twitter was a closed platform from the start. Did people believe that they had control and influence over that platform and now they're realizing that they have no influence over the platform? I think that might be partly it. I think, and you know, I mean, to confuse the matter further, I think early in Twitter's life and in early in, in many things' life, You do. Those early adopters do have influence over it. The way that they use the platform, because they're there, ultimately shapes the way that the platform is developed. And that can be a social network. It can be a graphic editing application, a video editing application, um, a web browser, a a video game client. You know, whatever kind of applications people use, to some degree, early on in its life people have influence over it and a sense of control. I cannot say that they have control over it, but they have a sense of control because they know that if all 50 out of 50 of them complain enough, then someone will have to listen or they'll all leave. And then instead of 50 users, that platform will have zero. But once that platform has 100, 500, 5,000, 10,000, 100,000... A million plus all of a sudden that influence is well non-existent really and i think different platforms have different ways of of handling that some platforms have forums where people can go and have the impression that their voices are being heard other platforms have have Representatives, you know, community managers interacting with with users to sort of assure them that their voices are being heard and so on. But I think ultimately, in the closed source software world, your influence is obviously quite limited and your control is dialed down to zero pretty much from the start. But that illusion is very powerful, and I think people do believe that when they find a closed source application that nobody else knows about yet, that's a really cool find. That's exciting. You found something. You found something that you really enjoy. It makes your life better. This is exciting. You want to share it with others. You want to help shape it. Maybe you want to get involved. You want to work with the developers. You want to work with the people who who are starting this up because they're kind of the small guy and wouldn't it be cool if if you could all make it big together? But at some point, those paths start to diverge and the platform itself gets a lot bigger than its community and ultimately, very frequently, the platform starts to betray its community in some very serious ways. And we've seen that time and time and time again. And Twitter is not going to be the last time this happens. I think Twitter is a surprising time for a lot of people because Twitter. I mean, Twitter really, I mean, honestly, a lot of New Zealand's government announcements during disasters like earthquakes, the only reliable place you could find those announcements was on Twitter. I mean, it's it was really bad. There was an Eight, no, seven seven 7.8 earthquake while I was in New Zealand, and the only source of information that you could truly rely on from the government, emergency services, was Twitter. Not great. I mean, yeah, there was some stuff over the radio, but if you wanted information quickly, Twitter was the way that people congregated and, and, and shared information. That's a whole country of five million-ish people tethered to a closed source application that is now owned part and parcel by one individual seems like a really bad idea it's almost as bad as if though the whole infrastructure of some other countries was run by a mega corporation from a foreign from a foreign state that would be weird wouldn't it people just wouldn't do that sort of thing in real life but twitter somehow slotted in there and and kind of became the thing even in the face of of open alternatives, especially once Mastodon got up and running. Like, I don't know why every country doesn't have its own Mastodon instance, honestly. Like, why would you ever use Twitter once Mastodon existed? I don't know. So anyway, Twitter, big deal. People are leaving. Mastodon, now kind of a big deal. It's in the spotlight for a while. Who knows for how long. These things are, are very fickle, and you never know what people are going to be excited about or disappointed about or confused about. Uh, pe- you know people can barely handle Mastodon half the time because i don 't know the the button isn 't green when you click to post a message or something i, I you know people just get so weird about interfaces uh, until until someone else some someone else sells them something better so i don 't know what will happen with mastodon i don 't know how big it 's going to get i don 't know how long this is going to last i mean no one does, but I think it 's important for us as open source enthusiasts. To note this kind of thing. To note that people were fine with Twitter for over a decade. Almost, what, almost, could it be almost 20 years now? Or maybe more like 15 years? They were fine with it. They were fine with having no control over their communication platform. And now that it's getting taken away, no, sorry. Now that several people are finding it untenable, are they deciding to leave? And it still puzzles me as to what exactly snapped. What made them think now things have gotten too bad for me to stay? I'm not exactly sure what it is. I don't think it's the eight dollar charge that Twitter has announced it's going to uh, charge people for the for the the white and blue checkmark icon by their name or, or whatever which i never really understood how that thing worked anyway i don't think that's it i'm i'm just not sure what it is just an abrasive uh, owner is that is that the extent of it that's the own that's that's what it takes is the key to increasing open source adoption to place a uh, megalomaniac narciss narcissistic billionaire at the helm of all of the closed source companies if we place these narcissists in at the head of of Apple, wait a minute, uh, at the head of Microsoft, at the head of Google, and at the head of, I guess, Adobe, those are my, those are my big ones, Uh, then, then do we get people migrating all of a sudden? Like, what really is too far? And it concerns me, I guess, that, that quote, too far, is apparently mostly a personality trait, and it's got nothing to do with personal liberty, or, control over your own data and and sort of insight into the code that you're running and so on. That's interesting to me. And again, it's concerning, although I fully, fully understand why one is more obvious than the other. And I, I, I guess I can't safely assume that, that everyone who is migrating from Twitter has ever heard about open source before. Sounds like a weird, that sounds implausible. To you and me, dear listener. But I mean, it's it, it, it's true. It, it does happen. A lot of people didn't even hadn't heard of Mastodon yet, and that's why they're leaving now. Because now that Twitter's so bad, and now that they have found a solution, this seems like the opportune time. So it, it's an interesting problem. It's a it's a thing for you and I to think about. I think as as again as open source enthusiasts, what what does this mean? How can we how can we work? with this new knowledge. The knowledge that certain things do compel people to move, finally. And many people don't hear about the alternatives until that has happened, until it's too late quote-unquote too late and is it too late would people have moved from twitter had they heard of mastodon why would they have moved what would have compelled them to do that before someone purchased twitter before someone they didn't like purchased twitter i don't know these are all great questions i think and there are things that i've been thinking about a lot and um it's something that we should think about it's something that i think open source has to think about because this is remarkable. This is actually kind of a big deal in a weird way. Like this is this is more momentum behind a, a, a switch in platform than I I personally have ever seen. I mean I've seen I've seen some pretty massive things. Like I mean I've I've seen the um, the switch campaign from Windows to Mac. The, there were TV commercials with like this sort of nerdy Microsoft man and a sort of hipster uh cool and young and hip apple man and they and they would get on to t- the screen together and and compare notes you know the, the windows guy would say to open a document i had to right click five times and and move my mouse and press a key and then the mac person would say to open a document all i had to do was press the space bar and that was like, woo, whoa, whoa. And and then you would see people like migrate from Windows to Mac. Like you would actually see it. Like there was a big market loss, uh, market share loss of, of Windows over to Mac. And And now we see that. We see people with Mac. We see people with Macs at open source conferences. Like it happens. I saw people have to switch from Final Cut Pro by Apple to any number of other solutions. That was huge at the time. Like entire movie studios had to refit their entire editing suites because of a decision that someone at Apple made. Like we're gonna just change the code of Final Cut Pro, not make the old one anymore, and people changed, people migrated in mass. So I've seen big things, but I feel like this Twitter one is is kind of unique because Twitter is still there. You could still use Twitter. Like you could, I I'll. I imagine you could probably even sign up today. Don't, but you could. And as long as you don't, like, change your name to a certain string, then then you're fine. But people are still moving. Like, people are leaving Twitter actively for an open source project. That's a big deal. I just don't understand it. That's all. I guess we'll just have to continue thinking about it until next time. Thanks for listening.